Hello, my name is Claire and you are listening to the Hypno Birthing Podcast. Hello everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I hope that everyone is doing good. Today's episode, I have welcomed back Kemi Johnson or Kemi Birthjoy Johnson, as she's known on Instagram, to come and talk about induction. Induction is one of those topics, it affects everybody really, even if you don't end up actually having an induction, the conversation about induction usually comes up at some point in your pregnancy. So it's worth being very informed about and kind of knowing the facts and knowing your stuff about induction. So I did put out on my Instagram that Kemi was coming on and some of you sent me some questions for her. So thank you for anybody that did. And I have put those to Kemi and she has answered them. I just want to put out a bit of a kind of disclaimer before I play the episode because This podcast in general is, you know, a really positive space and that's what I want it to be. That's how I've created it to be, you know, a place where you can listen to hopefully a friendly voice, um, you know, talking about all things kind of hit my birthing and birth. And then obviously we have our lovely guests and positive stories as well, which I know many of you love. So that is what this podcast is and what it will continue to be. This episode is a little bit less positive, because induction is a really, really important topic. And I really, the reason that I asked Kemi on was because she knows her stuff and she, you know, talks about the realities of induction and what that means and the effects that that can have. And so I wanted to just let you guys know, if you are not in a place where you are ready to listen, then please do just skip this episode. Please don't listen and then feel offended or upset by anything that's been said and then leave me a bad review or anything or come and you know and have a go at me on on social media because honestly like the this this episode is needed for those that need to hear it because some people want this information some people need to hear this information so this episode is there for them if you're as I said don't feel ready that's totally fine I'd just ask, please just skip the episode and listen to another one or in a couple of weeks time, there'll be um, a birth story back on here as well. So I just wanted to add that in. I also want to just say as a bit of a trigger warning that Kemi and I do discuss the topic of stillbirth in amongst kind of talking about induction. So just as a trigger warning as well, I wanted to let you guys know in case you also want to switch off for that reason. I'm going to play the episode for you guys now and I really hope that you enjoy it and I hope that you take something from it. Hi Kemi, thank you so much for coming back on the podcast. I was looking actually, it's been over two years since you came on before. I can't believe it was two years. I I really enjoyed it the first time. And I know that there were some people that were challenged by the content, but there's, um, you know, they were still, um, they still gained benefit from it. So definitely. And I think, yeah, there is, uh, there weren't weren't too many. I think a lot, I've had a lot of people say that they found the episode really helpful. So it's definitely a a kind of more people benefited, I think, than found it um, difficult to listen to. But yeah, Although always them finding it difficult doesn't mean they're not benefiting. No, well, that's true. Exactly. Yeah. And there's all, there yeah. might be just something, you know, one little thing that you said yeah. that they've carried with them, even if they maybe don't realise they've carried it with them. Yeah, 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 exactly, um, exactly. But can you just kind of introduce yourself again? So I know you have been on before, but it's been a while. So if you can just oh. kind of tell everybody who you are, what, what you do. 
So I'm a mum and my and a grandmother. So oh, that might be new. That might lovely. be new. So yeah. Um, so I've got two, um, two that are one's two and a half, and the other's a half. So, <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, lovely! So, Congratulations! Thank you. Big deal. Big deal. Um, yeah. So I'm a bird keeper. So that's taken me through various guises. It started when I was age fifteen. I realised I needed to help people in the birth space. And it, obviously now learning it's it, the work starts before you're even pregnant for somebody who's going to give birth. And so I've got an interest in pregnancy thoughts and actions, anxieties, you know, the whole picture. And then the birth, obviously, I can act appropriately in the birth space if I'm needed. Um, yeah. Sometimes it's just my energy that's needed, yeah. but sometimes it might be my hands, etc. Um, I've been, you know, I hear voices, <laughs> so I'm supposed to, that's so weird, right? Um, so I'm supposed to come out of the birth room if I like it or not, and yeah. um, everything has pointed in that direction that really my support now is for others in the birth room and for parents to be well prepared. So that's going to be um, the way I'm going forward. Not a big change. I'm still going to be showing up on Instagram. My account's the same. My website's the same. But, um, but yeah, I'm transitioning into supporting people that support birth rather than being physically there myself. Wow. Um, and I'm very lucky that I've had all the experience I've had and seen what I've seen and understand what I understand. And, and well, so I, I'm hugely honoured to have been called by all of those parents into the birth space yeah. and served, right? So, yeah. so you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be sad about it. <laughs> it's just the, the way it is. But so me being a birth keeper means that I'm always an activist. I'm always um, centering the woman and her baby. Um, I'll do anything to make sure that that happens. And of course, it's meant a lot of self-work. It's it's meant I've had to, you know, get my skeletons out of cupboards and really I've I've had to do deep work to not cause harm um because yeah. you know hurt people hurt people or broken people break people so um yeah. and you know I've had my experiences in my life that means that I was carrying baggage that I I need to deal with in order to show up as my best self yeah. so so that's what's been happening and that's um, great though and do you know what though it's it's great to you're, you're as you said you're moving on more towards um kind of teaching people who are gonna be the ones supporting and you know it's just passing that wisdom and knowledge on isn't it I I've actually recently started my doula training and I've I know amazing I'm so excited (laughs) but like I and also I have been every kind of spare moment been listening to your clubhouse episodes (laughs) Um, yeah so I feel I feel like you're like always in my ear I don't know if that's a good thing. I get so sick of the sound of my own voice, to be honest. <laughs> but you know what, though? It's, it's, I've learned, like, you, you always feel like you kind of should know a lot. And I felt like I, from teaching hypnobirthing, like, know a lot. But then the more I listen to things like Clubhouse and, and other kind of podcasts and things, I, I feel like, wow, I have so much more to learn. So that's kind of, yeah, what you're doing, isn't it? You're going down that path of teaching 
us, you know, who are then going to be the ones that are in the birth space. 100%. Great. And the formal role of midwife, which has kind of disappeared into obstetric nursing, Mm. um, in all honesty, you know, I know there are many doulas, most doulas that say, actually, I don't want to be the one with clever hands. I just want to stay within a certain remit. And I get that. Um, It's just that women do need mostly women so yeah. there's some men that you know like my twin brother James I call him <laughs> oh. oh yes yeah he's on the yes. look alike. <laughs> I was thinking oh. hang on you're a twin but then I remembered who you were talking about <laughs> don't look alike oh my spiritual twin you know I choose him over yeah. most other people yeah. to be at a birth you know so yeah so it's but I really I, I really do appreciate it gets me excited when I hear that somebody like you who's been dedicated to making birth better for families, mm. you're journeying and now yeah. you're journeying, taking yeah. you through birth attendance, which is yeah. very exciting. Feels like, it feels like a, the next step, definitely. I had to kind of wait for my, I've got a six-year-old and a five-year-old, so they're, they're both at school now. Like It just feels a bit more manageable because obviously it's potentially kind of, you know, uncertain hours. So um feels a little bit more doable now but yeah it's exciting I'm I'm um yeah enjoying it so far everything that I've been really learning, but... makes me excited well, another yeah. conscious compassionate individual that's going to be available yeah. for yeah. family we need yeah. that we um, do we do we also you know I mean just uh, going off on a slight tangent um we do need the original midwife again um yeah. with hands and centering the woman and the baby we need that again um so we need more of those and so and the midwives that are available at the moment a handful of them obviously have that skill and but the vast majority don't so and we're still you know hopefully I mean the birth rate has dropped in the last year or so by quite a extent so I'm hoping there's still babies being born (laughs) as time goes on <laughs> that will be served by people like yeah. you and yeah and conscious kind and clever yeah yes that's yes that's me <laughs> <laughs> right let's talk about induction because you yeah last time you were on we spoke about physiological birth and kind of what what that is and things like that but obviously yeah induction big big topic and I always say to people like might not be anything that you actually have to deal with but it it will always be a conversation at some point most likely for most Mm. people so definitely worth kind of knowing as much as you can about it even if you escape the actual action of induction um so that's interesting that you should say that but what do you mean by um can't escape (laughs) well yeah I suppose because so many people are kind of led down that route that it does feel a bit like and actually a lot of people that I teach and that I talk to obviously uh, come to me at you know past 40 weeks and are like oh you know I'm just really worried baby's not going to come and I'm going to have to be induced it's kind of the typical um sort of thing that you hear like often hear it and I suppose yeah it feels a bit like if you don't go down that route you have kind of escaped it I guess yeah interesting interesting I mean obviously it betrays um the state and I say states that we're in at the moment and it is a state because ultimately 
there's a mechanism for a baby to come when they're ready. Yeah. And sometimes that mechanism is tweaked slightly by, say, if the mother's ill. So say if the mother's ill, if the baby isn't completely ready, the body will probably eject the baby depending on how ill the woman is. If she's really ill and then her body, you know, her mechanism has to decide whether they can continue keeping her alive and the baby alive at the same time. So, or keeping the baby at the same time. So sometimes birth may be initiated before the baby's ready, but then we know what to do. Yeah. The problem, the problem with induction appearing to be inescapable, um, and this is discussed in In Your Own Time by Sarah Wickham, which I think the whole the yeah. whole nation needs to read Great fast. Book, yeah. Really <laughs> needs to read fast. Yeah. I've got to read it again. We really do need to examine where it's coming from that parents and birth workers are really disrespecting the process that the baby has in order to grow, flourish, complete their intrauterine development and then come out ready for the earth world. Yeah. I know we're going to talk about that as well. But so just, just to say that, honestly, we're on a very sticky wicket as a society. Now, yeah. parents will say, quite rightly, they were groomed, they were led, they were frightened. I do want to, um, I do want to talk about that actually, um, about kind of the long-term effects that obviously induction can have on the woman or person giving mm-hmm. birth, and also on the the babies as well. Um, mm-hmm. Before we kind of go to that, can you though just can we just go back and talk like I just want you to kind of explain what an induction actually is and kind of the just general process of it like the typical Mm. induction Mm. process Mm. well I'm going to introduce the word that some people have heard but not augmentation yep so I'm going to define induction and augmentation because sometimes it all gets lumped into one yeah So induction is a process by which we initiate in labour by ripening the cervix. So if you imagine the cervix is usually long, around four centimetres long, quite turgid, quite thick and closed. Even if um, somebody's having a second or subsequent child, you may, their cervix may not fit fully that description because sometimes it will be slightly open yeah slightly about one centimeter or something like a finger width but ultimately it's long enough and turgid enough to hold the baby you know the baby umbilical cord placenta the water around them etc or babies right Mm. men are capable of holding in many and carrying (laughs) them right so (laughs) The induction process is reversing that state of the cervix. So let's talk about what physiologically happens, which is a shortening of the cervix. And the cervix, rather than being posterior towards the bottom, starts to open towards being central. And also the condition of the cervix, it softens so it's not turgid, it's not firm, it's softer, that's called ripening, it thins, yeah, and, and has 
ability to open. And that's something that is driven by prostaglandin. Prostaglandin is synthesized estrogen, which the woman will have in spades towards the end of pregnancy. And it, she has it in her cervix and it's impregnated in the cervical tissue and it's released usually by the baby's presenting part on the cervix, just moving around, starts the process of the ripening and then it continues with continued release of prostaglandin, etc. And the response to the baby's signal to say, I'm ready to come. So when we induce, we are um, intervening in that physiological process that all women have that I've known so far, all of their services ripen and open because I've got a unique group of women that don't accept any kind of induction, including membrane sweep. Mm-hmm. So how they become that it's by conversation. They kind of know what they're getting. If they get me, unless there's a true medical indication, I'm not going to recommend it. Neither am I going to root around in their cervix of a finger. It won't happen. Yeah. So, I have, a, I have a great cohort to look at because every single one of them has gone into labor. Yeah. Right. So, and, and that process when induced usually involves, um, sometimes people are using um, a homeopathic remedy. So I'm starting with all the natural. Ways. Yeah. Yeah. I do want to talk to you about that as well. <laughs> sometimes people are using a homeopathic remedy or they're using, um, oh, what's that word? Because I, I don't recommend it, so I don't retain it. But there's um, evening primrose oil. Yeah, uh, They're doing something that will have an action at the cervix that encourage ripening. So yeah. it might be artificial, it might be um, acupuncture for induction, reflexology for induction, all of these ways of trying to get something to happen that actually will happen if you just wait. Yeah. So the formal ways, well, they won't admit that this is a formal way, except Cochrane has already let the cat out of the bag and nice guide as well that membrane sweeps are inductions, right? So it's kind of there, everyone knows, but the actual people on the ground, most midwives and obstetricians will say, no, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's it's often framed as such like a little like oh just pop up on the table I'll do a sweep like it's a no nonsense kind of no big deal yeah I think but, if, anything, yeah. if someone asks you anything and they include the word pop in it <laughs> yeah imme- immediately say no and then yeah. we'll work then we'll work back from there yeah decline it and then we'll that's work good back advice yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um because you're being coerced for sure yeah yeah um so you know like you say it's it's treated as a nothing But it's a big thing because it's starting a process that the rest of the mechanism of birth may not be ready for. Yeah. So that's why with membrane sweep, one in eight um, will work. Yeah. Um, But yeah, you know, you never know. You never like we will never know, but we can probably guess that 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 person you might have been ready to go anyway. Was probably going to, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's one of the methods that they've also creating weird and wonderful methods. I think most, if not all, of these methods were um, initiated at least by men. So we've got the old fashioned prostin gel, which Mm -hmm. is synthesized prostaglandin. 
and so the gel itself was discouraged because it's difficult to remove if there's hyperstimulation. So hyperstimulation of the uterus should be considered five or more contractions in a 10-minute period. Yep. Actually, from my, from my observation, the most contractions that you'll see for physiological birth is four in 10. Yeah. In the units, I know they try to get it between four and five in 10. So we're already on a bit mm. of a skip that. Um, so prostaglandin also comes in the form of um, prostin capsules mm-hmm. or PG3, which you'll tuck behind the, the cervix. Kind of there's there'll be a little space behind the cervix that can hold it. Sometimes yeah. they fall out. Um, usually we're we're watching that for around six hours and then doing an assessment. Or there's the propest, which is like a tampon impregnated yeah. glandin, which usually stays in place for 24 hours and then assessment. Sometimes they might do some CTGing regularly. Mm-hmm. Once you've got that in, they don't normally offer continuous monitoring for those things. But in actual fact, they're as they're the smoking gun with uterine rupture as much as synthetic oxytocin yeah, yeah, yeah. which I don't know they think it's the lesser than yeah but um so you've got the dilapan rods yeah which are these tampon like rods that when they're inserted fluid makes them swell and the swelling of them needs to make ought to make your cervix open yeah. again my, one of my friends had those one of my friends had those, yeah. I saw you at the expression. You, you won't see it because it's a podcast, an audio podcast, but there was an expression on her face. Which <laughs> like, oh, oh, I know those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, because, you know, we're being experimented on again um, mm. and and it's extremely painful because you're being prized open. Yeah, um, yeah. And you see, these methods, I'm not anti-intervention. If there's a pregnancy that needs to end for a critical medical reason. Yeah. And there's a chance that the woman can avoid major abdominal surgery, which obviously will then challenge her health even further. Then these interventions make perfect sense, but it's when they're used indiscriminately, that's the bit we're going to need to answer for all of us as a society. So, We've also got the um, phony catheter or balloon yeah. catheter, which yeah. is kind of two silicon, I think, pads that are filled with normal saline to inflate. So they're put in place and then inflated so that they've yeah. got the cervix between them. So they're pressing. This is the of- pressure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So people have really, honestly, um, experienced a lot of discomfort with those two. Yeah. And we don't know because obviously we are the study, as always. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so we don't know, um, but there, there seems to be some whispers that there is more or the potential for more cord prolapse because the baby's head is slightly lifted when the balloon cavity is yeah. positioned. Right. right. Okay. So, so, but as I said, we're always the experiment. Yeah. We, yeah. And our babies and yeah. our babies. Okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. We, we get to find out how that's all going to pan out. Have I thought that 
I think that's all the methods that I'm hearing of mostly for now. Yeah. Induction, people see as a method of induction also the castor oil. Yeah. I had someone ask me about that the other day, actually, and I thought that was really quite outdated, but obviously people are still talking about it. I think it was fairly outdated and discouraged until evidence-based birth, Rebecca Decker uh, did um, a review on the evidence and talked about it. And actually, as far as um, methods of induction goes, it, it seems to be quite effective. Yeah. I think at least 50%. I can't remember the stat. It can make you, can't it make you quite poorly though? Like, it, Oh, it can make you uncomfortable Ill. because it yeah. can make you vomit and it can yeah. Um, sometimes that happens any, anyway well, in, yeah. Um, yeah. but uh, the reason why I would discourage it again is because it's trying to make a process happen that yeah. the vast majority of the time can be left to the woman and her baby I find castor oil when, when I've heard about its use because um, I'm not around people that use it because no one I look after gets no it. So it, it, I've heard it's quite a, a violent kind of. I wouldn't want to. I don't think I would want to even risk it in case it did make me really unwell. You know, yeah, I, I'd yeah. be so much more worried about that. <laughs> yeah, well, that, yeah. that's a healthy response because yeah. you're concerned about intervention. If, yeah. if body and the baby are doing something, and we're talking about healthy mum, healthy yeah. baby, talking about, and when I say healthy, I'm not saying that unhealthy is and yeah. this is not exhaustive it is not unhealthy to be in your 50s no. or 40s or to have a high bmi or no. to have a low bmi or for your baby to be small for gestational mm. age i'm not talking about growth restricted growth restricted babies are not healthy babies yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Small for gestational age so the baby that holds its it centile yeah but but is small um yeah is big none of these babies are unhealthy because of that a baby that's macrosomic because of you know a woman that has that is ill with yeah. her blood glucose management of course that's a different situation it's different yeah, yeah. Do you know what your um your your clubhouse episode on small babies was one i re listened to recently and that's definitely worth a listen because obviously you talk in much more detail about um, babies that you know the difference between babies that are just small um, yeah. and then babies that are small because there's a, a reason for it but um, yeah I just thought that was it was a really interesting episode same with big babies you know kind of similar issues but um, yeah interesting to hear you talk about it. Thank you thank you because that's the premise on which oh oh sorry and it's not unhealthy to have a pregnancy that's longer than 40 yeah. weeks zero days. So most of the reasons, if I was to go into the induction bay today, the list I just gave you will be why the vast majority of them are in there. And also, you I don't think you mentioned the synthetic oxytocin, which is obviously like the... Right. So oh, <laughs> good, because what you're talking about is augmentation. Ah, okay. That's why you didn't include it in that. Yes, exactly. Induction. Okay. Yeah. It's supposed because, to be about getting the cervix yeah. right. So they do that first process first because that ripens the cervix, which is what's important. They need you need a ripe cervix to use yeah. the synthetic oxytocin. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. they never 
always used to do that because you know boys with their toys they used to just want to go straight for the synthetic oxytocin but they found of course it there was a higher rate of uterine right. rise because right. no point making the uterus contract if the cervix is holding oh, on yeah yeah gosh so um the combination of the two is the least likely way for the uterus to rupture yeah. so Let's get on to augmentation. Augmentation yeah. is breaking of the waters if they're not already broken and synthetic oxytocin. Yeah. yeah. They're calling it oxytocin at the moment. And it's so funny because people have let us after their name. Healthcare professionals, supposedly clever, are trying to tell women the oxytocin that is introduced via a cannula or jabbed into your bottom intramuscularly is the same as your own endogenous oxytocin that you mm -hmm. are pulsing out of your brain in a manageable way. Hence why you'll normally see uh, contractions happening three in 10, four in 10 at most. Yeah. yeah. And, and at the same time, the woman is able to manage it because it goes along with a release of endorphins. Yeah. So the endorphins, which is your own endogenous painkiller comforter, goes alongside the release of your own oxytocin and you're in your happiest state. Come on, let's be real. Sometimes letting a whole human out of your body, <laughs> especially with our lifestyle and sitting in chairs and... yeah athletic women with tight pelvic floors and everything else it, it's not always a walk in the park but it doesn't matter mm -hmm. i mean there's anything wrong no yeah no, yeah right so so you know a woman really letting everyone know that this is really painful doesn't mean that there's something yeah. wrong right? i always think that as well and when i'm teaching i always try to explain to people this kind of idea of pain in childbirth but i always think like it it shouldn't be uh walk in the park like you are birthing a human aren't you like it it's okay it's okay if it's if it is uncomfortable it doesn't mean we can't manage it yeah. and I think because so many people are very scared of that idea of pain like because we have well particularly first time we have no idea what to expect and you hear so many obviously horrible stories but I, well, I always try and think it's like we feel it, we experience pain in other things we do if we exercise or something like that it's uncomfortable mm. but that's okay yeah like it's it's okay so, you know, I, and especially I am also a hypnobirthing teacher. I'm not actively teaching at the moment, no. but I learned it and, you know, taught teachers and love it. And I think it's the very first thing you should do before yeah. you're, when you're first pregnant, it's the first thing you should do. You you yeah. might, you've got um, other things that float to the surface, like, you know, trauma from previous abuse and whatever else, yeah. then then see a specialist for that but I think yeah. one 101 um it's just I think it's just the baseline everyone needs that training first yeah, yeah. Right. agreed so we've got you know the situation where with augmentation and I don't know why I came up with that I'll, I'll probably catch my thread a bit later augmentation <laughs> With the synthetic oxytocin, because it's gone into your bloodstream rather than come out of your brain, it doesn't trigger the response of the release of the endorphins. So you will usually experience it as more uncomfortable. And so we'll possibly need, that's then what happens with the cascade, you know, yeah. with the 
epidural and what the epidural does, etc. So yeah. yeah, I just wanted to define augmentation as different yeah. from induction. When no, it's important. That's important, isn't it? Though because those is. things happen throughout. You might have gone into labour spontaneously. Yeah. But if your labour's slowing. Yeah. Do- doing that with air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah everyone. Yeah. <laughs> air quotes. Um, they might. Yeah offer to break the waters or to introduce a synthetic oxytocin and yeah that's still yeah augmenting the process interfering yeah. with the process yeah interfering. yeah it's a definite it's an intervention right yeah so I'm always scared and not a lot scares me but I'm always scared to introduce an intervention because mm. I don't know what the domino effect is in the rest of the labor so for instance you know I don't break waters either Mm. Um, I'm concerned about the additional pressure on the baby's cord and on the baby by that hydraulic cushion not being there and it and because of I because I did it yeah If, if the waters break in a healthy woman then I know that her and her baby are working it out but if I've gone in there and around then I know Yeah. I'm responsible for whatever else happens. It's a it's a big responsibility, isn't it? Like you're messing with Mother Nature. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and with respect, I'm a clever woman, but yeah. Mother Nature really has got this. Yeah, <laughs> she knows what she's doing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I prefer not to get involved, unless, of course, the yeah. the mother or the baby are unhealthy or need help. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, wanted to define that. Should we get to questions? Yes. Okay. So first question, what are the actual risks of going over your due date? When when we saw, so, oh gosh, I should remember my names. Um, there was a piece of research yeah. that was, uh, well, it was a review of the evidence of quite large cohort studies. Yeah. And they came up with a figure which showed that there was an increase in stillbirth mm-hmm. beyond 41 weeks of one in a thousand, mm-hmm. 0.1%. Yeah. We also know, if, if those that read in your own time, mm-hmm. that there's an increase of death mm-hmm. to baby following induction of one in a thousand. Right. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. And also, actually, no, that I got that stat from Optimal Care in Childbirth by Hensi Goa. Okay. Yeah. Then um, what I learned from In Your Own Time is that if induction is had, there's an increase in by three times. So it's relative risk, right? right. So I need to go back and look at the absolute figures because that's fairer. Yeah. But it triples the chance of that baby not making their first birthday. Gosh, yeah, wow. So, with yep. that mind, with that in mind, and I'd, I'd I'd advise everyone, you know, I'm just giving you some pointers of places where you need to go and get your own information. Yeah, yeah? so it, I would really recommend you read in your own time by Sarah Wickham. Yeah. I'm going to keep saying it again. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's a very very good book, and it's yeah. a as well, and it and you. But your parents and parents have to do hard things. So yeah. you're going to yeah. need to. Yeah. 
also that um one in a thousand so that after 41 weeks the risk of stillbirth is one in a thousand but it's also isn't it one it sorry yeah it's an increase from sorry yeah stillbirth rates generally um they used to be two in a thousand yeah uh, and that was and it's around two in a thousand from 37 weeks yeah okay because I was going to say before you get to term your stillbirth the stillbirth risk is higher isn't it than I mean I, I I'm not being very good with the figures here but it was something that I heard the other day I think it was on a clubhouse but basically your your risk after sort of 42 weeks is the same as your risk before kind of 37 yeah. weeks but at that point we don't do anything about it we let that person yes. continue with their pregnancy but we don't do that after 42 no. weeks because of that, that risk that's right hopefully that's, that's right. made sense I don't know yeah. It has. And again, I would encourage you all to read the book because then you'll get yeah. up to speed, right? Definitely. But it's um so we but we are always talking about tiny figures. Yeah. So tiny. We we had a stillbirth risk of two in a thousand, um, or a neonatal or perinatal death. So it's stillbirth and neonatal death. Mm-hmm. So that's baby being born, but you know, dying shortly after. I think it's within 28 days of birth. Right. Um, and when you put the two figures together, they become perinatal death. Right. Is that is that the main, like, talking about sort of the things people worry about if they go over, that is the main concern. There aren't really any other concerns. It, it's just that, which is quite a small figure, as you said, anyway. It's um, a really tough. Yeah. But that is the main thing, you know. Yeah. I mean, we won't go into too much detail about it because obviously we're limited on time, but obviously the placenta reason and the baby being massive we know are not you know got any evidence behind them so those are things that get told as well but they're kind of not anything to be too concerned about and I just really want to add as well there's um oh man I think she's now changed her name to conscious birth and parenthood okay Charlotte Mindel all right she she has an excellent post if anyone wants to know about it you can just dm me and i'll send you a link to the post where she analyzed the the embrace figures for perinatal mortality that were issued last year so that's for okay baby infant perinatal mortality and sure that saw that at 42 weeks we actually saw a decrease in perinatal death which is interesting interesting that is just that's just a head that's not somebody with a hunch, uh, yeah, you yeah. Know, with a skewed hunch and skewed figures. That's literally yeah. a head count. Yeah. So I think I think it's interesting. In- it is interesting. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, fine. Right. We'll move on to the next question because I do have a few more to ask you. <laughs> we'll be here forever. Yeah. What are the long-term effects of induction on women or birthing person and the babies themselves? Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And first of all, I want to, I want to point people towards some work done by Hannah Darlin, a research piece that came out in 2021, which had been, I think had been looking at children for 16 years. So it, so it's really, it's really worth reading, but the things that, that concern me as, as being someone in the birth space and, and seeing families is that, there and also as well i'd like to point people to sarah dr sarah buckley's work where she talks about the interplay between hormones 
and mothers or birthing people and their children and how it all clicks together um, to preserve whole health. So, you know, so you'll see what's supposed to happen and then you might understand where our concerns are. So first of all, when the woman, it responds to the baby's signal to be born or her own signal that birth needs to be initiated, everything that works towards a physiological birth happens. So her mood, her ability to acquiesce, surrender, um, her actual tissues to do the same, the baby's position in order it is optimized to get out. So usually that'll be chin to their chest if they're coming head first or bottom first, you know, the bottom the the, the knees will be flexed in a position you know, if it's a frank breach or if it's complete breach, you know, the, the baby will be ready to do the journey. If if there's not that readiness there, there's additional pressure on the woman and on the baby. So the woman may experience the birth as more painful, uncomfortable, I'm not ready, um, more traumatic, let's say. Mm. So we're talking physically and emotionally. So she may tear more, um, she may lose more blood, she may be more exhausted, she may take longer for her milk supply to come in, feelings of loss, um, separation. She may feel abandoned in the process. Nobody could help me. Why? Because the birth was so intense, because she wasn't, she wasn't quite ready for it, fully ready for it. She didn't have the endorphin releases. So, you know, that will affect her mood during the labour and postpartum. She didn't get that rush. We'll talk a bit about the synthetic oxytocin, the role that plays in mood as well. We'll talk about that in a minute. Mm -hmm. So, you know, physically, like even synthetic oxytocin, we've learnt that that makes her perineum respond differently to birth. Wow. So it's more likely to tear. Well, I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah. It's so, this it's absolutely fascinating. If her oxytocin isn't peaking or if synthetic oxytocin has come into the picture, then she's more likely to bleed because her uterus needs to contract postpartum. Yeah. So if that baby's had a hard time, I'm, I'm dotting around, but I'm really wanting to give people more a feel of it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm going to keep saying, read it for yourself, right? Yeah. There's, there's so much that, that is happening that we are thinking is normal yeah. in childbirth and postpartum that is trauma. Yeah. I mean, it's just not, it's, it, and all for that kind of, I mean, I obviously like stillbirth and when people, when they talk to you about that, that is a, it, obviously everybody wants to avoid that, goes without saying, but I guess like, for that very small increase in risk of that, which that risk is always there regardless, because Thank that's you. just a fact of life. It will never be zero. Never be zero. And I think all of this that comes potentially as a, you know, we don't, we're not being told this, no, you know, people aren't being told this, you know, this is the reality of if you accept an induction, these things could happen because I'm sure if the majority of people knew that, side and the chances of these things happening they may well feel differently do you think i mean because because 
<laughs> because you know this is swinging it back to the parents you're not the you know the, you're not these two-year-old victims innocent victims you're yeah we can go and find that information out ourselves you, you can find it out it's there you know you're enabling that by having this conversation mm. but it is out there but even if you don't have the time or don't want to for many parents, it's them managing their fears and expectations. Yeah, and there's just so much. I mean, it starts from when you're young, doesn't it? The fear, and yeah. you know, so you've got what, like, like you said, it should it should start before you're even pregnant, like this education. But for many people, mm. it starts when they're pregnant. So what you've got, like nine, ten months to undo, mm. you know, thirty years of fear around fair. childbirth. Fair, that's, that's fair. I, I I totally get that. It's and, so you know, hard, isn't it? It's so hard because sometimes I think parents, you might see it in my post sometimes, I go, parents, please. And you can just feel the exasperation. But you're right. Like we have been groomed into being good girls. Sit down if your legs cross, even if it's uncomfortable. Wait for mm. a week because it's in the middle of the lesson. Like we're, we're oh, all yeah. disconnected. And, and and it's intentionally so I can only believe that you know you've got a lot of parents working like you know my parents were broken people who they're working out their stuff on me you know practicing yeah. they were young parents yeah. I went and did the same thing you yeah. know went and took out all my frustrations on my children until yeah. I took responsibility so what I'm what I'm asking parents to consider it is your responsibility to manage your fears mm. yeah because they're making you do irrational things yeah okay i've talked about the stats before but to flip it that means just i'll just you know instead of let's work with the stillbirth rate as it is mm. at the moment right so at the moment you've got 99.6 percent chance of having your baby in your arms and you know yeah. her borrowing your makeup you know yeah borrowing your dresses sneaking her boyfriend in you know him you know driving your car you've got 99.6 six percent chance that that's going to be your reality okay and they're offering to reduce they're offering they're saying that oh no it's going to be 99.5 percent unless you let us torture you and your baby instead of 99.6 percent yeah and, you know, I mean, it's it's so hard to put into perspective, but like when you think about all of the other things that we do every single day with our children, driving them in the car, pushing them along in a pram, you yeah. know, the chances of something horrible happening in those situations, particularly being in a car, I'm sure, is higher. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm guessing, but you know. No, it, you're not guessing. It putting it in perspective. It is considerably higher. But we okay. do those things. We still do those things yeah. because we yeah. accept that that is always a risk. There is always a risk with everything ever that we do. Like there's it's never, like you said, it's never going to be zero. It's just not. That's just not how life is. And that's right. I think, and, and it's and what you've just said there. That's the conversation I need parents to have with themselves and each other. Mm. That that's really what it's down to because you know I've tried talking to maternity services that. Mm. There's a financial incentive to using all of their toys and they're going to use them, right? But but parents, you're not getting anything out of this. But you've got a lot more to lose in this. So it's it's going to be down to you guys to say no. Yeah, no, you're right. Right, next question. What, 
Okay, so you kind of, yeah, you touched on this. So maybe just really quickly, what is the main reason why we're inducing so many women? You just kind of said it, but. <laughs> yeah, it's a, there's a, there's, um, there's, you've got a goose stepping maternity services who their income depends on the interventions that they use. And they need a hell of a lot of income because I heard that last year they spent two billion on payments for negligence. So it's wow. done since the last time I looked at it. And that's after losing notes, falsifying notes, hiding evidence, going to court ten years, dragging families through the court for ten years. They're still paying out two billion. Two billion. But, yeah. I so, mean it's yeah. <laughs> So we we have got a um, an impasse really because honestly they're not going to stop. What are some of the valid medical reasons for induction? Oh, lovely! Yeah. So a baby that's growth restricted, as in the setup within them, whether it's vascular on the mother's side, whether there's, there's something about the baby's placenta, you know, that is preventing the baby from thriving baby might be better out than in Mm -hmm. my only argument is with there if you're seeing signs that the baby's not thriving it would be kinder to have a surgical birth for there to be a cesarean right because then to put them through an induction i guess if they're already not thriving it will stress a lot yeah yeah they haven't got the resources for it the argument that I've heard from an obstetrician, which holds water, is, well, we're continuously monitoring during the induction if we can av- avoid the complications of surgical birth, which also roll on to the next pregnancy, by the way. Yeah, so yeah. There's an increase of one in a thousand stillbirths for babies born to mothers that have had previous cesareans. Right, yeah. So, um, And that's whether it's a surgical birth or a vaginal birth. Right. right? So... Yeah. You've got the baby that's growth restricted that they think isn't thriving. They're thinking maybe we'll try an induction. We're continuously monitoring. We'll see what happens. If, if it, you know, the baby shows signs of distress, we'll, we'll have a lower tolerance for distress with that baby and go to a cesarean. Okay. Mm-hmm. So both those scenarios hold water. But I, I just want, I just want them to think about it. The, um, yeah. the, the clinicians, because at the moment they're just suggesting induction, broad brush for, babies that they think aren't thriving which yeah but they could just be a small baby yeah well that that's another argument for another time (laughs) but it's like they they know the baby's growth restricted and they're still suggesting an induction knowing what that means for the mother and the baby particularly the baby that they claim to be worried about i want them to consider cutting in inverted commas to the cesarean faster because we've got a lot of babies ending up in NICU should a cesarean like because my guess is that in many of these situations they're just being spoken to about going the induction route so is a cesarean something that you know should be being offered as an option alongside and if it's not can can you request it worried about for a baby that we are worried about from the baby's health perspective yeah i'm going to talk about my other two reasons at the moment but just going for that one first yeah. We should be considering a cesarean. We should be balancing the cesarean with the induction for growth restricted babies. 
If they don't offer it, can you request it though? In that situation, you, you can always request a cesarean, even right. if there's nothing going on. It's your, it's your body. It's your. And I right. guess they have to give you a valid enough reason for why it's not a good option for you to yeah. not do it. Yeah, yeah. And okay. the, and then you know the, the, they're autonomous. So I guess they can refuse to do it. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. But you know, thankfully, that's why we've got more than one obstetrician. We need to. You yeah. know, just go to another one. Just go and Who speak to somebody listen. else. Yeah, yeah, say I'm worried okay. about my baby. Yeah, you know, uh, they're saying that my baby's tiny and failing to thrive and falling off of its growth curve, but they want to pound it through my unready body for four days mm. in induction. Doesn't make sense. Yeah, no. Okay, what are the other reasons? The other reasons are um, preeclampsia that's fulminating, so it's actually coming to pass you know we're seeing changes in the fluid balance of the woman um blood pressure's going up you know it's it's really looking like she could have a stroke or a fit okay yeah right it might be a good idea to try an induction because somebody Mm -hmm. who's in that condition you really don't want to do major abdominal surgery on right okay so it might be a good idea to do the induction but you've got to kind of catch it in time. So mild preeclampsia, it's been shown in evidence that it makes no difference whether you wait for the birth um, spontaneously or whether you induce. Okay. But, for, but for moderate to severe, it might be a good idea to really get that induction going. See if And what I observed when I was working in hospital was that if a woman was genuinely preeclamptic and had an induction, it would normally go faster. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So that that so I've seen that. Yeah. The other thing is um, obstetric cholestasis or intrahepatic cholestasis of pregnancy. Yeah. Again, I feel and and it's been shown that if the bile acids are regularly over a hundred, it might be a good idea to get the baby born. Yep. However, again, there's room in there for an induction to get it going. I haven't seen uh, I haven't seen that it's affected the rate. Preeclampsia for sure I've seen it become faster. But yeah. cholestasis, no. But I would say a baby, I mean it's obviously up to the, the woman. She should yeah. get the stats and decide whether she, you know, whether she's leaning towards ending the pregnancy or not. Yeah. But those are some, yeah, some valuable. Preeclampsia and, and cholestasis actually, there's an element of it that is diet related we know this because if a woman fasts before she does the blood tests for cholestasis she'll probably find her bile acids are down that's not a good thing to do yeah don't do it don't mask what's going on you need to know what's going on yeah yeah fasting's never a good idea for a pregnant woman or person so yeah just just that so that's that's as far as i know somebody else might come up with some ideas but as far as I know, that those are the only reasons that I would see that induction okay. might be helpful. Great, thank you. So what we also touched on this, I think, right at the start, but what would you consider to be some obviously obviously this is this is term doesn't make sense anyway, but natural induction methods that are okay to do. So obviously natural induction oxymoron doesn't work, but you know if, what I mean. If, you, if your pregnancy needs to end, yeah, for the reasons we discussed, but you really want to give it a go, not using those the the usual yeah. methods, castor oil, castor oil. Okay, yeah, 
Yeah. There's a there's a castor oil mix with orange juice and something else, I think. Um, I've never used it, so I don't no. But, um, yeah, for people that believe that women need to give birth by a certain time, they've been using it a lot. Personally, I've just named my reasons why, mm. you know, to kick, why to kick a woman and her baby into labour. And I would use castor oil. No point with the pineapple chunks. No point with mm. the sex. No point with the membrane sweep because they're minimally effective. If you're seriously about serious about getting that baby out, then castor oil. And you kind of mentioned at the beginning things like acupuncture and reflex- reflexology. Are they like if you were to do those? just you know with the hope i suppose of going into labor that's you're in you know you're potentially inducing then your baby might not be totally ready or they work but they're subtle right so 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 i I, i'm gonna i'm gonna talk over you because i do but i try not to (laughs) do it it's really important i want people (laughs) to understand hemi is not recommending induction of castor oil yeah if you think that being too fat genuinely is putting your baby at risk. You need to go and do the research mm. and and put down any induction aids, yeah, because it's not true, right? Yeah. I've mentioned three reasons. I'm sorry, that's it. Some people say, oh, but what about, you know, my, my hubby works on the rigs and, you know, I need to have my baby now. Yeah. It's, it's not a good reason. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, I said it. You know, people are going to say, oh, how dare you? Oh, I, I, the, I'm going to a wedding. My sister's getting married. Oh so God. I think we need to get the baby out now. You're going to torture yourself and your baby to go to a party. Stop yeah. it. Stop yeah. it, right? So of the three reasons that I gave, yeah. If you're going to, there's no point tickling the situation. And I'm acupuncture for um induction works it's just that the rest of the body doesn't Mm. the thing about castor oil is it punches through any resistance i'm being real it will punch through most of the resistance to you getting that baby out within a day of having it it's going to punch through it 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 makes you ill like you said why don't they use castor oils in hospitals (laughs) Like, couldn't they just do that? Because the pharmaceutical <laughs> company won't make the money, of yeah. course. Right, yeah. yeah. Cool. <laughs> what about things like um, dates, eating dates? Is that, is that dates. okay to do, like, basically? Yeah, I, I, I see no objection to it, other yeah. than it, there's, it is sneakily kind of mimicking the protein that's released by the baby. Um, right. This is what we're, that's what we're thinking is the action of dates. Yeah. But it's not been proven. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just that it's just a hunch. Do do I suggest people eat dates? No, just chill. You're gonna give just birth. chill. And the raspberry leaf tea, same thing. No massive. That's not, that's not an induction method. No, it tones that, the uterus it apparently. Tones doesn't the uterus. It? Yeah, coconut water does a similar thing. So they're okay if you kind of want to drink those. Well, or just I, not I, worth I doing any always, of it. You, there's not a lot of reasons that I would choose to not have coconut water i'm a fan right um red raspberry leaf tea herbalists say yes it improves the tone of the uterus why not it's not causing any harm they're not induction aids yeah no yeah red raspberry leaf tea is not an induction aid it also just isn't that great like you know if you're gonna 
Can mix probably, it with we, other things like fennel. Probably rather go for the um, coconut water because at least coconut that tastes water. nice. Oh man, it's the best. <laughs> I remember, yeah, I remember drinking my first pregnancy, drinking like four cups of raspberry leaf tea a day and like, oh, you know, I mean, it wasn't bad, but I just, I didn't love it. And that's quite a lot. It's quite a lot to drink, isn't it? So Yeah, it is. Um, okay, so... Somebody asked, actually, somebody asked me this when I put out a question box um, for induction questions. We we kind of already know the answer to this, but I want to ask you anyway, because she did ask. So I want to uh, ask mm. you on her behalf. Um, mm. She said, how long can you refuse before it's dangerous? I mean, we, we have answered this, but yeah. you answer it for her. It's, it's not a temporal consideration, as in we're not looking at time when it comes to whether a pregnancy should be ended or not. We're looking at the conditions of the woman and the baby because actually yeah. there's a mechanism uh, to give birth and it involves your immune system. And other than one 80-year-old woman in China who was found to have a fetus in her that had passed away like 50 years before, wow. <laughs> there's been no one else that's been pregnant forever. Yeah. So it happens and it doesn't get to the point where, as we've already spoken about and as research has shown, where it's it suddenly is really dangerous to still be pregnant. I've not come across it. No. No. Um, You know, is there a baby that doesn't release that protein? Maybe. I don't know. But I've not seen it. No. No, exactly. And I suppose... If that was the case, that baby, we it would have never got the chance to do it because it's probably been induced before that point. But of all the Which babies. Was, yeah, 100 percent. There's yeah. that. True. But yeah, I suppose if I was looking after somebody and she said, oh, my baby's movements have slowed down. You know, I'm not a fan of scans, but I'd always say, do you know what? First thing we should do. The CTG has been proven. It's not going to save babies. Yeah. It's not saved any lives and it's not saving incidents of cerebral palsy so forget that but I would recommend a scan so that the placenta can be looked at the grade of the placenta and also for the dopplers to be taken so they can see the blood flow to between the baby and their placenta and amniotic fluid around the baby maybe as an indicator as to whether the baby is now failing to thrive we attend the scan and all is well pregnancy can continue if it's not then we do that whole clinical assessment thing again you know it's a baby well enough for induction if not should we have a cesarean yep okay but that's not um, happened yet no okay so yeah you can and you can refuse for as long as you want to refuse for just to add that in as well <laughs> yes somebody also asked and this again is like quite a specific question so um maybe just kind of a, a general more of a general answer um she said, is induction better than a cesarean for high-risk multiples? No, neither is better. Yeah, okay. spontaneous labour is the best. And um, I look after people that are multiples, have multiples on board, or twins. I, I haven't looked after someone with triplets yet. Mm. And everyone's high risk. I'm high risk. Yeah. No doubt I can find a reason that you'd be high risk there. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, my it's age like... now would put me as high risk. <laughs> yeah, see, I told you, we're all high risk. Okay? There's always something. <laughs> yeah. So to answer your question, um, spontaneous labour 
is always the best way for babies to come. And in fact, you would probably benefit from hearing on another podcast, forgive me. That's <laughs> okay. Down to Birth Show, down to birth show um, where they've just interviewed a woman who had a hidden twin and she'd had scans. Yeah, oh. she'd had scans, multiple. And then she, and so she gave birth to one baby and six minutes later, another baby came. They were both frank breech, which means their legs are straight up with their feet by their ears, both of them. Wow. And she was 40 weeks. And apparently everyone says if the twins aren't born by 37 weeks, everyone's going to die. So, yeah. wow, so, yeah, the don't the parameters and labels for the beautiful person who questioned it's all smoke and mirrors, yeah. And induction typically is pushed more, isn't it, for people who are carrying multiples? Yeah, from a heart, they, they from push a, it at 37 weeks, yeah, from an earlier stage. Yeah. Um, really interesting. My my nan um had twins, so my mum is an identical twin, and wow. um, I sometimes kind of just pick my nan's brain a bit about it because obviously it was a different time then like she's 88 yeah. Yeah. and um she yeah she did actually end up she went into spontaneous labor but she they were a bit earlier I think they were born at like 33 weeks but spontaneously mm. wow. and um yeah I know and um vaginally as well like no um Beautiful. cesarean or anything and yeah. yeah she just kind of I think must have gone in gone in for some concern or something and mm. yeah babies came and there was no uh wow yeah no kind of big it's never yeah. been a big topic it's never no. been it's just I, what I it was think, I think twins always are a big topic there's a big yeah. deal I'm fascinated they by are it. I mean twins are amazing like watching my my mum and my aunt <laughs> it's, yeah. it's always fascinating <laughs> I'm used to it now but it's always yeah. quite fascinating <laughs> it really is fascinating isn't it, is. it? They are and amazing. to imagine that the very same genetic material that is your mum is yeah. your aunt. I know. It's so crazy um, as well. Like the is. things they have like their their teeth are yeah. opposite. So like any Oh, they're mirror my... twins. Yeah, well they I they kind of are with some things, but like anything my mum has an issue with on one side, my aunt has yeah. an issue with on the other side. Isn't that and, beautiful? and they have this it. kind of very strange, like when my mum was in labour with me or my brother my aunt knew you know something happened to her like you know she yeah. was ill or you know it was very Twins coincidental are but strange yeah they're Amazing. very connected. it's very beautiful it's lovely um, it's nice but yeah I I just know that we have sabotaged the health of what 99% of twins now with all the silliness about induction yeah. or cesarean or it, it's really bad so when your grandmother was giving birth those are the better times to give birth yeah. now is a very horrible time to give birth yeah. people think it's the opposite honestly yeah. death was so rare and it wasn't caused whilst now yeah. death is being caused so she, um, she went on to have a home birth afterwards as well with my uncle so she, you know she just kind of was upstairs I think my my mum was there and yeah you know just very she's quite yeah interesting I try and talk to her as much as I can obviously because she's getting a bit older but I try to like talk to her as much and get as much like insight from her from it and um, the truth of that the truth of that is because people around her and your your grandmother were rational and calm about birth that's happened for many thousands of years yeah. That means that when your uncles were born, they yeah. weren't at one in a thousand increased risk from stillbirth because True, yeah. previous siblings were born vaginally, not by cesarean. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so if so, say somebody with 
multiples or twins um was they did need either there was a reason there was a, a a valid medical reason why they might require an induction or cesarean would and again this is quite general but would a cesarean for twins be a better option like i'm trying to think of if you're inducing two babies rather than one you've got to have those two babies get into that position in order to be able to be born not just one and I think when I think yeah and I agree that's why I think induction is always a bad idea yeah. even with twins because you know often you'll hear somebody's been induced and then the second twin's born by cesarean I mean that is yeah. a, can you imagine yeah can you've you imagine? gone through both you've gone through oh, both man, things yeah seriously yeah, yeah, so it depends on the individual situation, what we're dealing with there. Might be worth trying to get two babies out by induction. But mm. Particularly, as we know, it's the first baby that is doing the birthing, really. The next yeah. baby, more or less. Well, they don't know that in the units because they've got women on their backs. But those of us right, that work yeah. in homes, we know that the second baby is aligned because she's not on her back and yeah. with an epidural. So right. you know, she'll do a little wiggle in the shower or she'll be in the pool and she'll get onto her knees and whatever. And then the next baby comes. And it's not like giving birth to the first one because right. you're already open. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, okay. And then just finally, I did have a couple of questions about, um, V-backs yes. and induction. Um, is, and, and actually what, one of my friends, actually my friend that had the dilapan rods that I was talking about earlier, mm. she, um, she actually had a V-back, which was amazing. And, amazing. um, yeah, really great. She's very proud of herself, which she should be. Um, they, she did accept an induction for that though, because she got a bit scared by some, you know, by everything, um, which she now would say she kind of wished she hadn't done. And she's gone on to have a third also vaginally as well, which was not induced induced in any way, but is it more common to be induced if you are going for a V-back? Like, is that, is it more common for it to be pushed? So when I was back in the noughties, when it, I was, you know, a student midwife, they um, we wouldn't dream of inducing a woman who's got a scar on her abdomen because it doubles the chance of scar rupture. So it doubles, you know, I always say I will talk about absolute risk. So it's about if you've got, this is interesting, actually, if you've got no scar on your abdomen, you've got a one in a thousand chance of rupture. Yeah. I think I that's something that gets missed so much, doesn't it? That actually there is always a risk to everybody of yeah. that, you know, yeah. we, and we accept that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If yeah. you've got one scar on your uterus, on your uterus, you've got two in a thousand chance yeah. of uterine rupture. If you've got one scar on your uterus, but you are, so when they look at the population of people with one scar on their uterus giving birth in a hospital under including induction it's about five in a thousand right um whilst if you're looking for at some at the population that having spontaneous birth in a community setting say it's only two in a thousand Mm. so from that we can see that it doubles the chance of uterine rupture and we're not talking about complete rupture we've got partial rupture figures in there as well and the vast majority are partial ruptures yeah. And some yeah. will happen, you won't even know that it's happened, right? So with, with that, we were told it wasn't ethical to induce 
somebody who's got a scar on the abdomen, on their uterus. But, you know, whilst my back was turned, <laughs> they're <laughs> inducing everyone. And uh. and what's worse, right, they'll say to a woman, we, don't, we really don't want to use these drugs. So mm. from 37 weeks, we're going to force some fingers in your cervix. Yeah, the sweeps, yeah. Which is also an induction. Yeah. So we've got, like, you'll see a unit that will have, like, 165 cesareans that month, and they'll proudly announce that there was two V-backs, right? So we know, and we also know that I think 13% of people that have had a previous cesarean attempt to VBAC. So we've already got small amounts. Yeah. Then the ones that were successful, two. Yeah. So, so, you know, what happened to the other 12 or 13 people that attempted it? Yeah. They probably suffered the cascade of interventions from an induction. Yeah. And that kind of, yeah, that that sort of is putting extra pressure on, isn't it? When you're induced, the you know it's putting, as you said, like di- different type of um, contractions and surges. Mm. So, you can mm. imagine that's putting a different type of pressure on that scar already mm. that you've already got. Yeah. So it's going to likelihood increase, yeah, increase that chance. That makes sense. Well, I've asked you everything. I've taken up so much of your your day. It's been brilliant, honestly. <laughs> I, no, it I has. Ho- I hope it makes sense what I'm saying I'm not anti-intervention we've just really got to think about it and especially with people there's only a minority of people attempting a VBAC if you accept induction for any of the reasons other than preeclampsia growth restricted baby or cholestasis you have intentionally or not been a part of the outcome for you and your baby yeah I'm gonna get I'm gonna get hey I'm going to send everyone directly to your page. <laughs> but um, no, it's been great. And like I said, you're you're in my ear most of the time anyway, because whenever I'm out dog, dog walking, I've always got you. But I, And I keep telling people to go and listen to the Clubhouse replays. Like I sound like I'm working on commission for Clubhouse, but like go and listen to them because there's like I'm learning so much and I already know quite a lot. I can't even imagine for a first timer who yeah. has really no clue. Honestly. Like there's so much to learn. Yes. And it's such an easy way to learn it. Like just listening yeah. to a conversation with people is the easiest yeah. way to learn. Isn't it lovely? I love it. I hope that it stays. And if it oh, doesn't, it's great. I um we it's we so want to keep on. We want to keep going. But I just also want to say that you're not alone. You know, like I've I've thrown some truth on you, parents. Um, but you're not alone we're out there but you might need to engage us yeah. you know you, you, you know you if you've got somebody saying you know we've got to start prizing you open from 37 weeks I want I want that to be a red flag for you I, it, look at the outcomes we've got they're terrible you know you've got to know it's because of what they're offering and what you're accepting the only way we're going to be able to stop this is by you not accepting it but I don't want you to do that alone We've got people out there that work with mindset. You've got Claire who will definitely steer you in the right direction. <laughs> you know, sometimes there's deeper reasons why we're ex- accepting nonsense from caregivers, yeah. you know, but I just don't want you, I just don't want you to blindly accept it. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. And that, yeah, there's, I mean, that we are so fortunate with the amount of support there is out there. 
Like there yeah. is so like information. Like you're talking about those those books by Sarah Wickham. Like what a gift. <sighs> we had yeah. all of this stuff to yeah. support us. And and you know, even seven years ago when I was preparing to give birth, uh, there wasn't half or maybe even no. a quarter of what there is now. What there is now, I know. It's so much of it, and it's all such good quality. You know, I'm so always good. assessing the quality of the offers, yeah. and you know, I champion the ones that I think are good. Yeah. So I just, I just want you parents to know you're not alone. Yeah, it is a big ask, but at the end of the day, you know, you signed up for raising the next generation. So I have high expectations of you. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay thank you so much Kemi it's been so lovely to talk to you and thank, thank you for taking you. so much time out of your day to come and talk to us it's been it's brilliant been so useful for people so um yeah so thank you and I'm, I definitely you'll be coming back on again at some point to talk about something Yay! else sure. <laughs> another chat another edgy chat <laughs> definitely but I'll let you get on but thank you so much take care my darling thank bye you bye, bye. A big thank you to Kemi for taking so much time out of her day to record with me. I really do love listening to Kemi. Um, I just think she is so insightful and above anything, just wants to help people and wants to make birth experiences better for everybody. And so, you know, I really do champion the work that she does and really enjoy listening to her whenever I can because she teaches me stuff all the time and opens my eyes to things as well all the time so big thank you to Kemi I will leave her details how you can find her in the info box so that you can go and follow her if you want to and find out kind of a bit more about where you can access her thank you guys for listening to this episode as I said you know, I know it was quite hard hitting. If you need to go and take a breath and do something nice, go for a little walk, just look after yourself. And I will see you in two weeks time with a brand new episode. <laughs>